That should have my mic on. <clears throat> it shouldn't be too difficult to recognize the parable from which this picture comes as far as the basis of thought is concerned. Uh, do you have any doubt as to what it is? Uh, well, now you know. Now you know. Foundation is the New Testament an adequate foundation for the church? Is it the only foundation for the church as it includes its teachings? And when we start looking at the foundation of the church, then we have to ask the question, is it movable, changeable, or solid and concrete? Uh, here's another story. You probably have some idea about what this might be. Do you remember why he built his house of straw? It's easy. And that's a path that a lot of people like to take when it comes to religion. Whatever's easy, whatever's nice, whatever's convenient, and whatever I like. We could make it a little bit stronger, but it still won't stand. It has to be something that is solid. The foundation has to be solid, and that which it is made up of also must be solid. However, what I want to do, and that's what you would expect, would be to spend some time looking at God's house. I know that I misuse the word church. I'm guessing that you probably do too. Because on Sunday morning, how many of us say, well, we're going to church? There is a sense in which that is true because our brothers and sisters of the church. And so there's a sense in which we could say, I'm going to church. I'm going to the spiritual body of Christ. I'm going to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. So I guess there's a sense in which that terminology could be used. But we often know that it talks about the building. And I want to share with you a very real concern that I have. And that is, I am seeing this more and more among members of the Lord's Church. John Calvin, if you're trying to follow my notes back there, there's not a chance. John Calvin taught that your relationship with God is directly with God through Christ Jesus and is not to have any necessary required connection with anybody else. It's you and God. What concerns me is that over the years, I have noticed that church members who stop attending worship or who come once or twice a month or maybe even three or four times a year they still feel like 
They have the same relationship with God as when they were attending on a regular basis. So somewhere along the line, they have apparently bought John Calvin's concept that I can have a relationship with God separate and apart from my brothers and sisters, the body of Christ. One man who's not a member of the church, I had, uh, was having biscuits and gravy, and he was having a uh, breakfast sandwich down at Whataburger. He assured me that his relationship re- with God didn't require anybody else in any way, that it was him and God and Jesus, and that's the way it was. There are a lot of people who do not understand what the church is. I was sharing with David and Pat some concerns that I've had, even about some of my own teaching, that we emphasize correctly the necessity of baptism. But I'm concerned that sometimes people get converted to baptism without being converted to Jesus. They feel no serious obligation to be active in, productive in, the spiritual body of Christ, the church. They feel no obligation to encourage other members, no obligation to visit them, sometimes even no obligation to speak to them. We have some folks at New York Avenue that get there at the last minute and leave during the last song. I don't know what's going on. And so when we talk about the structure of the church, we're not talking about an an optional organization that if it suits you, you might consider being a part of it. And if it really suits you, you might even consider doing something in it. But really, all you need to do is just come and sit every once in a while. Oh, yes. And be sure to take the Lord's Supper. I think we have members in the Lord's Church who, though they don't believe once saved, always saved, they seem to believe once baptized, always saved. And then there appears to be some that believe once baptized and take the Lord's Supper, and I've done everything that God wants of me. Brothers and sisters, they don't understand what the church is. They don't understand its purpose. They don't understand its mission. And they don't understand its importance. The denominational idea, as an example... And I don't know how far I'm going to get in my notes tonight, but I will pay attention to the clock. I'm convinced we have members of the large church who become unable to attend as they would like. And so their church now becomes denominational preachers. And that's their church. That's what they watch on TV on Sunday morning. I know that we have the large church on television on a regular basis. It may not be at the most convenient time. But I see this happening to people. I've known of Christian couples who 
they move to a, a, a region where there are no churches of Christ, and what do they do? They look for something that's most like the church of Christ, not realizing that when they get there, there is a church of Christ there, and they're it. And they are to behave like a church of Christ. They are to conduct worship services. They are to teach the Word of God. They are to evangelize the community. They're not supposed to look something that's similar to the New Testament church. But this is happening in the body of Christ. In fact, some churches themselves have adopted this kind of attitude and this kind of a spirit. But when you start looking at the structure of the church as contained in Scripture, it demands the realization of its significance. Do we understand we are blood brothers and sisters? With a blood that is not temporary, like my physical family's blood is, but with a blood that is permanent. You are my forever family. This is not just an organization like the Lions Club or the PTA. I was a member of the Lions Club for a while, and I told them up front, I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to pay my dues, come and eat the meals, and enjoy visiting with the guys. That's all I wanted to do. They kept trying to get me to do more, but they never did say, if you don't start doing something, Bill, we're going to remove you from the Lions Club. Just paying my dues was enough. This is not the Lions Club. This is a bought and paid for by the blood of Christ, a group of people who have chosen voluntarily, willingly, and deliberately to choose to be a part of it. The church is the spiritual body of Christ. When I begin to accept that Jesus really meant it when he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's a church. He really meant it. He really meant it. The two things that are required to live a Christian life are mentioned in that verse. Seek first the kingdom of God, my relationship in the church, and righteousness, my life of personal holiness. The church. Let me go to another scene. I'm getting older. Am I going to wind up in a nursing home? And when I do, am I still really a part? Let's just say I'm a member of this congregation. Am I still really a part of you? Even though I can't be here week after week after week? And I haven't been here for five years or ten years. Am I still a part of you? Do I see myself as a part of you? And how will you continue to make me a part of you? That's very 
very important. When I was young, this would bother me, but doesn't anymore. Let me get back to my notes. Got some good stuff here. The ultimate foundation for the church, brothers and sisters, is God Almighty himself. Because Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 speak about the church being the manifold wisdom of God. And it is his eternal purpose. That in itself tells us the tremendous, important nature of the church and its work. It's worship, yes. But how much time do you spend in worship in a week compared to how much time do you have left over to be serving him in other ways? Bought and paid for. I've been to Zanzibar, the island off the coast of East Africa. I've been to the place where they brought the slaves. I've seen the little room where they kept them. I've seen the fact that the air vent is about this wide and about this high, and there's three of them for 75 people. Bathroom facilities consist of a trough in the middle of the floor, and at high tide, the water comes in and hopefully flushes most of it out. And so they will take a man, a strong man, out to a post in the center of this castle-like area, high walls, still there now. They take him out to that post, they strap him to the post, and they beat him. And if he doesn't cry, he brings, brings a big price. But I want to share this truth with you. I am more of a slave to Jesus Christ than any of them have ever been to another human being. Because another human being could only own that physical aspect, but not their soul. So you and I have been bought body and soul by the blood of Christ. I know that we have people in America who, whose great-grandparents have experienced slavery. But the slavery that we have to Jesus Christ is so much greater than theirs. Bought with the blood of Christ. And the foundation of that church is God the Father himself. The cornerstone is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, who do men say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church. And in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 16, that rock is identified, a choice stone, a precious stone. Jesus Christ is that cornerstone. And upon that foundation of the will of God, his eternal purpose, and that cornerstone of Jesus Christ, the apostles and prophets laid groundwork. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. They were, John 16, verses 12 and 13, they were to be guided into all the truth. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul is defending his apostleship there, and he says, I have been given words taught by the Holy Spirit. They have laid the foundation. There is an interesting passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and following, where Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, tells them that Christ put into the church first apostles and prophets, evangelists, and teachers and pastors. Now, the teachers and pastors are the same people, teaching elders, teaching pastors. In the old King James Version, when I was younger in my study on church leadership, I read that to say, these are the people who are supposed to do the ministry. And I read a book that said their job is to teach other people to do the ministry. And my first reaction was, that doesn't sound right. I'm a great student, not a scholar, but I know enough to look up words. I know enough to look up the nouns and the verbs and the adjectives and all of that. And did you know that what that passage says is, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be teaching pastors, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We're talking about structure in the church. That's what we're talking about. It is the elders and the evangelist business to equip members to do the ministry. That's part of who we are. That's part of our job. In fact, God had Paul to write, this is one of the reasons God put these men into the church. First two categories are based on the miraculous. The apostles and the prophets no longer, no longer exist. But the evangelists and the teaching elders do. And their job in the structure of the church is to equip saints to do ministry. So I have a simple question, and that is, if it's their job to equip the saints to do ministry, what is my job as a member? What is my job as a member? Well, it's to become equipped to do ministry. This is the structure of the church. The structure of the church is not coming to worship. That's a product of the structure of the church. But the structure of the church is to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ. To seek and save the lost. And that includes baptizing them and teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. And then there's the framework that we just talked about. Evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The miraculous has faded away, but the evangelists still exist. Got a question for you. Did you know 
that First and Second Timothy was written to an evangelist working in a congregation with elders. I take it personally. I take it to mean that this is not Paul writing to Timothy. This is God, through Paul, writing to evangelists of which Timothy was one. Some of the things that evangelists are commanded to do in First and Second Timothy would shake up a whole lot of preachers if they were to read it. It's plain. That's the structure of the church. I know that the first and second Timothy and Titus have been called pastoral epistles. When do I need to quit? Five till? Thank you. I know, I know that the role of preacher, they picked one phrase out of first and second Timothy and bless their hearts, they've ridden that horse and almost no other one. Preach. The Word. Be instant in season, out of season. That's the preacher's job. No, that's one of his jobs. And we're talking about the structure of the church in the New Testament. We're not talking about the structure of the church that allows members to feel like I'm doing everything God wants to me because I show up for worship service. We're not talking about elders who say their big job is to make decisions. We're not talking about a preacher who says, my job is to preach from the pulpit. We're talking about the structure of the church and the function of the church as it existed in New Testament times. And that, brothers and sisters, that's what we want to be. Because we don't want to be anything less than what God wants us to be. No wonder the little pig built his house of straw. He wanted a church that would make people happy. What do you have to do when you become a member of, of Straw Church? Not much of anything. What kind of teaching are you going to get when you come to Straw Church? A lot of love and grace. What are your duties when you come to the Straw Church? Well, I know the preacher's going to preach on giving, so I should give and come every once in a while. But most important of all, I need to keep my name on the roll. Wow. Well, let's make the church out of wood. Let's require a little bit more, but not what God requires. Let's have a group of men with women who make up some new church laws or requirements that require various things that God doesn't mention in His Word. But our main goal is to have happy members. We want you to go home happy after every service. We want you to go home full of joy. We don't want to make you feel guilty about anything, and we don't want to remind you that there's work to be done. I've often wondered how long it took in this fable the little pig who built the brick house to build his house and the one who built it out of straw. And I wondered what there was about him. I know that's not part of the fable. I'm getting way deeper than the little story ever goes. 
but I'm trying to apply this to the church. What in the world would make a group of people want to build a church of spiritual bricks as is described in the New Testament? What would make people want to do that? We already know there are thousands and millions of people who want to build a church out of straw and wood so that they can design it and not follow the pattern of the New Testament. What would make you want to be a part of a church structured like it was in the New Testament? I think I have a little bit of an answer because you love God. You know His way is best. You know that there's nothing you can do to improve on it. And you're honored to get to be a part. You have evangelists, First and Second Timothy and Titus, basically their job description. Elders, First Timothy 3, Titus 1, their qualifications. 1 Peter 5, Acts 20, those responsibilities. Deacons, I personally am of the opinion that those seven men in Acts chapter 6 would be called deacons because they were specially appointed to a task. I know they weren't given as many qualifications in Acts 6 as in 1 Timothy 3. So I think that's why we have 1 Timothy 3. So we have it all, not just a part. I think that's why we have Titus and Timothy. So we have it all and we put it all together. And then the finishing work. Members. Members. Multitudes of men and women. First Peter 2, verse 5. Living stones, not wood or straw. Living stones, solid, can be counted on, have deep convictions, recognize false doctrine when you hear it, have studied your Bible enough to know that there's some verses you've read, and even if you can't locate them the very first try, you know they're there and you can find them to show that this is the truth and this is not. Because the Word of God is one of the most important messages in your entire life, and you treat it with the respect and the admiration and love that God wants you to have. God gives different roles for men and women in the home as well as the church. He gives responsibilities according to our ability. Matthew 25, verse 15, parable of the talents. Have you ever wondered what kind of thinking difference there was between the one talent man and the other two guys? What was different about them? I think you can safely reach a couple of conclusions 
by the accusation that the one-talent man made against his master. You are a hard man. You reap where you have not sown. You know what we call that? Injustice and unfairness. He did not like the master. I have an idea that the other two guys didn't feel quite the same way about the master. But rather they considered it an honor to be entrusted with his possessions. If I were to say to David and reach in my pocket and get out a penny and say, would you hold this for me? <laughs> he would wonder about my, my sanity, wouldn't he? But if I were to pull a roll of $100 bills out of my pocket and say, David, I would like for you to hold this for me. I'm going into a part of town that I really don't feel safe. How would you feel? Maybe scared. But I'm putting a lot of trust in you. I'm saying in my mind, you are worthy of that responsibility. Isn't that a joy? To know that God considers us worthy of significant responsibility. This is the structure of the church. This is the way it works. The structure of the church is so much more than we've got a preacher, we've got elders, we've got deacons, and we've got members and Bible class teachers, and that's the structure of the church. No. The structure of the church is inescapably tied up with the mission of the church and the function of the church and the family concept of the church and worship. Worship. What an honor it is. Last Sunday, and I really am still watching the clock. Oh, I'll get to that in a moment. Last Sunday I talked about Zaphonath Paneah. Have you ever heard of him? Zaphonath Paneah. His name is only given once in Genesis chapter 41, but we know him quite well as Joseph. Zaphonath Paneah was his Egyptian name. Can you imagine what it would be like? Let's just assume that we're all part of those brothers. The messenger comes in. His Majesty Zephanath Paneah requests your presence at his table tomorrow. You are to dress appropriately. You are to behave accordingly. When he comes into the room, you're to bow your face to the floor. I think those guys were in awe, shock, question, what's going on? And did you know it got worse? It got worse. They come in, they have done their bowing as was required by Egyptian law. Joseph takes his seat away from them because the Egyptians didn't eat with the Jews. He knows who they are, they don't know who he is, and it's almost as if he says, what's your name? Benjamin, okay, you sit here. 
And what's your name? Reuben, okay, you sit here. And what's your name? Simeon, okay, you sit next to Reuben. So he lines them all out in the order of their birth. They have no... If Joseph knew that about his brothers, what does God know about me when I come to worship? Jesus said in John, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. For, do you remember that next passage? Such he seeks to serve him. Right now, God's looking in this audience for those who are here to worship him, to serve him. Isn't that amazing? I know had I been one of those brothers, I think I would have been squirming And then I would have been puzzled. You remember what happened to Benjamin's plate? They gave him five times more food than anybody else got. What is going on? How does this man know us? And yet when we come to worship, this is a structure of the church. We're talking about the founder, the foundation of the church, God. God is seeking in his structure the spiritual body of Christ, men and women who are there because, not because it's Sunday morning, but because they have come to worship. They have come to encourage one another. Being a Texan, I'm familiar with that King James wording in Hebrews chapter 11 where we are supposed to spur one another on to love and good works. I never thought that members much would like to be spurred, but I do get the point. The point is, do whatever you can to help each other get to heaven and to grow and to be what God would have you be and get to heaven God's way. We've got the foundation. We've got the cornerstone. We've got the work of the apostles and prophets. We have the work of the elders, deacons, and preachers. We have the membership And the roof of this building I have chosen to call the new covenant. That which is to cover it all, the new covenant. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. John 12, 48 through 50. Jesus says, I do not speak on my own. He has told me what to say and how to say it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. He is a mediator of a new covenant. The church, the body of Christ. Select seven men. We will give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's part of the structure of the church. A church structure building around ministry of the word and prayer. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16, according to the proper working of each individual part. I don't know what your job is, but I hope you're tackling it with all your heart. You may be a one-talent person, 
And do you know what God expects of you? What you can do. You may be a three or a two or a five talent person. What is expected of you? What you can do. I am so grateful that God has not said, if you don't do as much as the Apostle Paul did, you can't be saved. He says, you do what you can to get to heaven and to help other people get there. Here's a little bit of a diagram, perhaps. Uh, You have God the Father, Jesus the Son, God's Word, the Apostles and Prophets, the Holy Spirit. Upon that foundation, the evangelists, elders, deacons, members, their children, and then you have the roof, and together we call this the Church of Christ, the New Testament Church. Come inside. Sometimes we would do well to ask ourselves, when we were baptized, was it to have our sins forgiven or because we had been converted to follow Christ? There's a difference. Some people stop at baptism. I know the tragedy when families experience the birth of a baby that never grows beyond babyhood. We have a family in our congregation. Grandpa has serious heart problems. Son-in-law is blind. His daughter had a stroke. His granddaughter has MS. And his grandson, who's in his 30s, does not have enough intelligence to tell the doctor where he hurts. We need to grow up in Christ. The structure of the church is designed to help us make that happen in our own lives. Come inside, be converted, stay inside, be faithful, work inside, be active. What does God want from you? I've chosen this picture. Any of you grow up on a farm and have sheep? Just me? Guess why we had sheep? It wasn't because we liked sheep. I mean, they were okay. We wanted some wool and we wanted some lambs. Now, brothers and sisters, what are you in the flock of Jesus Christ? You're a sheep. What does God want from you? Lambs and wool. I've chosen to call wool our own personal spiritual growth and lambs new converts. Do you know what we did with the you who would not bear lambs? and whose wool sloughed off out in the field, we sold her. Why? I don't want to be a Christian whose only job is to come to the feed trough and eat. 
I want to grow in the Lord and have wool according to the structure that he has put into place. And I want to do what I can to bring new lambs into the fold of God. Yes, there are elders, there are deacons, there are evangelists, there are teachers, there are members. But that's not really the structure of the church. It is rather God's designed to work in a world that does not know him. I can be a lamb all out by myself, or I can be a part of the flock and active in it. The choice is mine. The choice is yours. Let's stand and sing. Hear the sweet voice.